Biologists try to understand complex sub-molecular processes by creating movies in their heads. If X happens, then Y will look like this. Well, they're getting more help with that these days from Janet Iwasa. She's a biochemist at the University of Utah who uses 3D animation software to visualize how cells and even smaller bits of biomaterial work. Iwasa will talk about animating molecular machines next Tuesday at Illinois State University. In this interview with WGLT's Charlie Schlenker, Iwasa talks about how being able to visualize a complex protein helps scientists do research. Part of it had to do with the fact that in biology, we often depict pretty complex processes using like circles and squares and arrows and really oversimplifications of what we think is actually happening. But using 3D animation, we're able to really take advantage of all the different data we have about what proteins actually look like, their shapes, their sizes, and also ideas about how they might be moving within a cell. How much did entertainment industry software have to be customized and tweaked to give researchers something meaningful and useful? The animation software can be basically used as is. It's kind of more, you know, the types of things that we're modeling and that we're um, we're importing is scientific data uh, rather than, you know, like a fish or a superhero or something like that. I'm surprised it was that robust. Were you when you first got into it or? Yeah, the 3D animation software, I mean, you can really animate anything you want. It's quite flexible. And so, you know, um, I guess, yeah. So for us, we would import proteins and different kind of cellular structures and animate those. And some of the different tools that we use, I guess, um, you know, we have to kind of think about what tools would best be used for animating a different process. Uh, But yeah, I think, you know, the tools are all there. How much does it help researchers? The animations are used in a variety of ways. Um, sort of the most basic level, they can be used to uh, to educate, to educate different audiences. So students, um, they, they're used to communicate research to different audiences. Um, so they've been used in museum exhibits and television, but also in lectures. And the animations, I think the way that we're kind of the most interested in using them is for communication and exploration. A lot of our collaborators use these animations to depict a specific hypothesis, and they use them to communicate to other scientists. It's often pretty clear that, you know, scientists think differently about how a process might proceed. And that's made pretty clear after they watch an animation that shows how one of their colleagues might think of it. Give a for instance on that, would you? Some aha moments that researchers have had by looking at at visualizations. So when we're animating a process, the first step involves really kind of an interview, uh, basically asking our collaborators, what is the process? Who are the different players? And and asking them a lot of different questions about the number of proteins, how they're moving around. With that kind of process of really kind of digging into what this animation might look like often brings up a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty. And so that can be really interesting for the researchers to realize that there's there's some unanswered questions there. And there's also things that happen during the animation stage where we're bringing in a lot of different molecules and trying to make them move according to the way that our collaborators think they should be. And sometimes things just don't fit. Uh, things don't fit together. And that can be often informative as well. And, and in the past, it's gotten our collaborators to look back at their data and collect some more and have some new findings. It's definitely happened where we've had collaborators 
who we've talked to about animations and gotten to the point where we're trying to plan out uh, an animation and asking them, you know, how many of these proteins are there? How many of these proteins? What does this one do? How When does this one come in? And just that process of asking them about that has gotten them to be like, actually, we don't know. We've got to do some more experiments or we haven't thought about that. How does this get translated into applied research instead of uh, pure research? So we have animations on things like HIV and SARS-CoV-2, which have immediate benefits in understanding, for example, how vaccines work, how new vaccines or new treatments might be used. So a lot of our animations have a direct relevance to human health and disease. There's the scientific and then there's the aesthetic. These are beautiful animations. These are beautiful visualizations. How much does that reward you? Yeah, I guess often the goal of creating the animation has less to do with aesthetics than it does, you know, we're really focused on trying to tell a clear story and telling the science accurately. And I think, you know, this comes out as an aesthetic choice. Um, But really, I think what happens is that we show complexity. Um, We show complexity and dynamics. And I think that's often interpreted as being beautiful. University of Utah biochemist Janet Iwasa says she got interested in animation as a graduate student. She'll speak at ISU's Schrader Hall Tuesday evening. She spoke with WGLT's Charlie Schlenker.